Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. End of the week edition of Dunked On here. Just doing three episodes this week due to the holiday season. We're going to start off with some news, then talk about some of the games we watched last night. Actually, Orlando and Phoenix, I thought was a really interesting game that we could take a lot from and also very enjoyable until basically neither team scored for the last three minutes of overtime. Let's start off with the news, though. And this is one that we forgot to mention on Sunday. It had just come out. Buddy Heald is a year older than everybody thought somehow. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit different than a Danny Almonte situation because it didn't make him eligible or ineligible to play in anything that he did. But it does make a difference. I mean, when you think about how a player is going to age and his relative, you know, like life experience level compared to the guys he was competing with during his years at Oklahoma, I don't know that it would have affected his draft stock. There was an interesting discussion about that on Twitter that I, I was, you know, I was seeing in terms of because Heald was kind of an unusual prospect in the first place. And, you know, there was the, oh, maybe they, maybe the Pelicans would have taken Jamal Murray instead, but they really liked Buddy Heald. I'm not sure that the Pelicans would have made a different decision at that point. But yeah, yeah I mean, they, it, they were, uh, as we've talked about so often with them, they were in uh, win now. I mean, if he was 23, it might have actually like made them feel better about taking him. Yeah. And so I don't think it affects, you know, the butterfly effect on this isn't as big, but it is notable. And, you know, Buddy Heald is going to be extension eligible soon. And being a year older does affect all of those sorts of things. I don't have in my head a firm grasp of exactly how, you know, like, oh, well, he, I know, but I know it affected, it would have affected his draft projections and other things. Yeah. How much do you buy his story of, well, you know, people just had it wrong. And, uh, you know, I'm just happened to mention it now that I, I'm going to be 26. Uh, and, you know, my passport, my driver's license says what age I am. And the Kings have known about it this whole time. Um, uh, I, I sincerely doubt it because like the Pelicans website when he was drafted had him had his birth date as what was, you know, what everybody thought it was. And teams, there are lots of different sources for this information. You're like, I, I'm sure that the people who do it from like a scout perspective aren't necessarily the same as who do it from like, let's say like Gavoni and Draft Express and all this kind of stuff. And so every when everybody has it wrong and you don't correct anybody, then it seems like it was a little bit there, a little bit different than what his story is. And well, so I mean, does he have a responsibility to correct everybody do you think i, I mean i don't uh, know i, I, I don't I'm think he has sure a responsibility he to correct it's... everybody but i think that it gets kind of close when you're talking about your employer like if your age is immaterial to your employer and you know that they have it incorrect i don't think you have a duty but i think it's proper like etiquette so you know if, if we're going into the lawyer perspective i don't think it's a breach of duty but i do think it's like a breach of trust i guess you could say i'd say it's something well, and, that and if the kings i, I mean we, he didn't mention the pelicans but he said the the kings have done all the time like why didn't the kings correct this 
as soon as they right. traded for him and they and they found it up well a, a couple of reasons over one they probably didn't want to look really stupid trading for him when now his upside might be a little more limited because he's a, a year older uh they definitely probably didn't want to reveal it right when you trade for him and then it's like oh well so are we gonna rescind the trade now because he's a year older than we thought or are we gonna look stupid because we didn't research this well enough or you know did the pelicans tell the kings if they knew a lot of unanswered questions here for me and like this stuff does matter in terms of projecting a player's upside i mean healed in particular is having a wonderful season but if he were just turning 25 you feel a lot better about him now than if he's turning 26 so well, and, and the yeah, other say, oh he's got yeah the other unusual part about this is that healed's age had become something that some of us talked about just because he was so much older already than the guys who were drafted around him because he went to oklahoma for four years and so it was i i had that i had a tweet going back in like 2014 talking about healed being six months only six months younger than bradley beal well it was six months it was just the other way in, in that circumstance and so i don't think it, it makes a big deal especially i i'm i'm really happy to a certain extent that it came out when he's having such a nice year so it's not the same kind of story it would have been you know if he was struggling and then you go oh and he's a year older too then it just adds on everything else but he's having a really nice year sacramento needs capable help on the wing but this presumably does affect his extension negotiations which will occur in this offseason at least somewhat yeah, he's been such a, a feel-good story here and it is worth noting though that he'll and this is only his third season so he would turn 28 in the first year of that extension that's pretty crazy the first to turn that 28 in the first year of your rookie extension yeah so i mean that's the rookie extension could be paying for part of his decline phase already that's i think that year actually makes a big difference now if he continues to play well and the kings keep improving i'm guessing they're going to pay him especially since we'll see what happens for them in free agency this year but generally they have had more cap space than they know what to do with it effectively so I, i think he'll probably still do just fine but it is uh pretty noteworthy there what else we got here so we already actually let's go to james harden so harden it looks like it's going to be okay he had a calf contusion and he's listed at questionable for their game on Thursday night, but he, uh, per Tim McMahon of ESPN, is expected to play. Harden injuries are always worth watching just because he's so important to the Rockets' success, especially right now with Chris Paul out. We talked about this, and we, of course, covered it for the NBA cast on Christmas Day. He's having a fabulous season. We'll be, we're will be we about a week away from it, but his MVP candidacy will be a, a worthwhile point of discussion for that. So I want to keep, keep an eye on it, though it's a good news that it looks like he's going to play and not miss time, at least right now. Yeah. Toronto had a rousing win last night. Come back, Kawhi Leonard dropped 30. But Lowry has been quite the bellwether for their offense. Strauss had this stat in his column. 117 offensive rating with Lowry on the floor and 102 when he's off. Some of that too is that he plays with the starters and, and Toronto's bench just hasn't been nearly as good offensively as they were last year. But yeah, that is a crazy difference. Uh, and this back issue for Lowry is something to monitor here because he's missed a couple of games now with back soreness. He's had that at various points in his career. There's kind of issues with, with that chain, with the hamstring and lower back. We've noted how his finishing at the rim has not looked as good. That's probably the number one thing that really is going to be hurt when you have a low back being able to explode off the ground. And you, as you jump, you're extending your lower back and, and firing through the hamstrings. Good to see that Serge Ibaka is back, though. And the Raps have been playing Pascal Siakam at the five, finally, just due to a lack of bodies with Ibaka and Valanciunas out. I'd be interested to see now if they're going to still do more of that with Ibaka back or whether you know Monroe 
is going to continue to get more of a, the backup center minutes instead. It's also important in terms of how they structure the rotation, because as we've talked about with Utah for years, if you want Siakam to start and close games, they need to be very judicious about those backup center minutes, at least until the playoffs when guys can play a higher proportion of yeah, the game. But I think it's good for them to explore some different lineups that, that'll be smaller, especially if they have to go against the Warriors. And Siakam did get some time, uh, looks like about seven minutes at center last night. In Washington, we mentioned that uh, Vastus Medialis strain that Otto Porter has he's now missed eight straight and doesn't appear that he's close we're not hearing any reports of him practicing yet the Wizards last night fell 106-95 to the Pistons on a hot three-point shooting night for Detroit Raymond Brothers Markel Fultz's agent says that he does expect Markel to make it back on the court says his range of motion has increased with the physical therapy he's been doing and Fultz did at least spend time around the team at their Christmas game in Boston. For the Wolves, Derek Rose returned to a ton of acclaim against the Bulls at 24 and 8, although his assists were all very low value added assists, basically. Uh, you know, not incredible passes but rose i mean he just continues to make shots like that's really what it's been you know tough float i mean he had this one along the baseline that was just an absolutely ridiculous shot hitting the three ball hitting the mid-range jumper and you still wonder how much of this can sustain it the quickness is there he has been finishing pretty well at the rim but and he's been starting at the point with jeff teague still apparently not anywhere close to coming back from that ankle injury so who knows i mean but we have seen some crazy shooting performances this year and perhaps with all the space on the floor it's now possible to shoot better from mid-range than it used to be but i'm uh you still would have to predict that things are going to decline for him we should talk about lebron we recorded on the night of of christmas and we knew that he had a, gr- a strained groin and it sounds which is good that the team is going to be very cautious with him he's already been ruled out of thursday's game it would be shocking to see him play on the tail end of that back-to-back on friday chris haynes had said that he's expected to miss at least a few games we don't know exactly what a few means in this specific context we have a prediction a contest is a strong word based on that but yeah it sounds sounds like it's going to be in that range but the most important thing is the lakers and this isn't surprising with luke walton having the long view of saying hey we need as much as they you know are still in the mix you know for competing for a playoff spot because there's so many good teams in the west they need him right for april substantially more than they need him right for a couple of games in late december early january well you mentioned luke walton and the long view I might be a little nervous if I am just because of the... The Lonzo well, stuff? Uh, what do you mean the Lonzo stuff? Well, we're kind of rushing Lonzo back. To oh, yeah. Year. I mean, I don't know if that's his fault necessarily. But uh, no, I, I would be True. nervous because there's the reporting from Woj and Zach Lowe, them talking about how Magic and Rob have kind of been looking for a chance to get their own guy in there. And Jeannie is supporting Luke and that they have almost been like hoping, I shouldn't say hoping, but waiting maybe for a, a losing streak so that they sh- can shit can Luke. So hopefully this won't be an extended absence for LeBron and give him an excuse it seems unlikely that they would go that way but you know we probably felt the same way about mike malone that wouldn't wasn't fair to fire him when demarcus cousins was out with uh meningitis but they canned him anyway yeah i think that's a term a a use of the term baited breath (laughs) is kind of where they are with this 
And, and, and to be clear, Lucas, Lucas did a really you, good job, right? Like, do, do you agree with me on that? Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I mean, think about how well they defended last year. And when we watched their personnel, I mean, yeah, they have guys. They're a top 10 length, defense this I year. How, how the hell are these guys a top 10? We were I like, know. these guys are going to be. Now, the offense probably needs to get better. Um, but Yeah. And remember how bad their defense was when they had flawed personnel and kind of didn't really have any other options. And then when they added, you know, when they started giving JaVale like that really extended run, which has been impressive. And then getting Tyson Chandler in there, giving Zubach a little bit more time like I, I haven't looked at the splits but they've been way better since they gone went to center traditional center lineups almost exclusively but yeah you, you were gonna ask me something else yeah i was gonna ask you about the zach levine thing so it, it's interesting jim boylan it appears that it's a policy for him that when a guy comes back from an injury they start by this i shouldn't use that word they return by coming off the bench though levine scored was it 24 yeah. he scored a, a bunch of points in their game how do you feel about that as an as an overall like policy which it sounds like it is yeah it seems a little weird to me also especially when you're trying to manage a guy's minutes I mean, it's not like he missed that much time right i mean i think but but to just say hey anytime a guy comes back he's gonna come off the bench it's interesting because a lot of coaches even though they never really meant it would be like oh well you know you shouldn't have to lose your spot due to injury if you just say hey this is the policy anytime you come back from injury that does give you a little more leeway if you know now zach levine isn't going to fall in this category but just generally if a guy who replaced him has played really well in his stead to just kind of have the idea of like all right you come back from injury you're gonna at least to some degree have to re-earn your spot or you can now enforce it that way that seems better now it may be easier to manage a guy's minutes as a starter sometimes there's a point that you've made and i didn't see the game but bloggable noted that he was out there late and kind of like limping around as uh, the bulls got completely waxed by the wolves and derrick rose was getting mvp chance so i i don't know i i think i i'm neutral on it i, I generally don't like just having a policy that you can't change and you're committed to you know i think just operating more on a case-by-case basis is the way to go but it does have a, an advantage Oh, something uh, we forgot to mention on on the Lakers front, Rajon Rondo has a sprain of his right ring finger so he is not playing in their game on thursday which adds a little bit to uh, of effect with lebron being out just because that's another guy who can capably handle the ball he played really well in their christmas day win against the warriors fortunately it is not on the same hand or it's not the same injury that required surgery it's a different thing i think it is the same hand it's just not the same issue uh and it sounds like it won't be too long of an absence but we'll keep an eye on that because they play sacramento actually twice in the next three games as i complained about when because of lebron's injury yeah and they said it was a great three sprain that's a pretty severe sprain although not necessarily perhaps the the most important area of the body but uh that's not a a small sprain if it's grade three rodney hood continuing to miss time in cleveland with achilles soreness and we forgot that it was these kind of nagging injuries that really ruined his career in utah maybe also just the fact that he wasn't all that great but it's sounding like this it could be a while here now he's been getting ruled out of these games pretty early and and achilles soreness just because of the lack of blood flow to the area really it seems like it takes a long time to resolve um one thing that I had heard at the G League Showcase, I mentioned this on Twitter, at Nate Duncan NBA, if you are not following me up, and then Mark Stein mentioned this in his newsletter that, and to be clear, it was Stein who was the first to mention it, uh, and then I just responded that I was hearing it as well, but that Dennis Smith, uh, not necessarily is on the trade block, but that 
Dallas had at least put some feelers out there gauging what his trade value might be. Presumably, that is due to a thought that there just isn't as good of a fit with Luka Doncic. And certainly Doncic, when he's gotten the ball in his hands more, he's better than Smith right now. His numbers have looked better when Smith hasn't played. And Smith, obviously, with this wrist issue, seems like he's been hampered by that for most of the year, if not all year. But I don't think there's anything inherent about those two players' games, especially with Smith shooting the ball better as a catch-and-shoot guy lately. That means they can't play together. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I, I think I think that I do. Um, it, it, I think that they want to try. You should go for a series of different options, and you know, like they ha- they shouldn't think, oh, Dennis Smith has to be a part of it. But I think he's a capable player, and he can he can fit well. We've seen Smith's shot distribution, you know, especially doing more catch and shoot threes when he struggled so much on pull ups last year. That that's really helped him, and he's dynamic. I'm a, a firm believer that it puts too much on a team to have a single player who's just running the show, and a lot of time. And that's not to say necessarily that you're going to go maybe they could go with something more in the Jamal Murray mold maybe they feel like somebody who's a little bit more functional off ball could help but those guys are hard to find yeah I mean a guy who would be a wonderful fit is someone more along the lines of former Mav Jason Terry you know more more of a shooter but can run pick and roll good off ball guy as well you know maybe doesn't need to be quite as good of a passer but I still think that that could work but it certainly is not a great sign for a player that I seem to be higher on the consensus that his incumbent team might have been looking to move him it's one of those things so where at least at this point he's kind of got more value to them with their investment in him than other teams i mean i'm guessing i mean what do you think would have been out there for smith you know like would a team give up like a mid first rounder for him i mean and, and it's one of those things where like i think so. the fact that they're looking to move him though then you wonder like what's going on behind the scenes that you know certainly all of the public reports have been that he's been a great teammate and blah blah but certainly there are reports at nc state that like his family was kind of difficult to deal with and he wasn't the greatest teammate at nc state so maybe that could be part of why they might be exploring this market as well but I mean, I think you're not doing your job if you're not just tepidly exploring the market on a lot of guys and they may not feel great about the fit. And maybe it was just kind of like, hey, you know, if someone's willing to give us like a high first round pick for this guy, maybe we should move him. Uh, But I'm guessing that type of an offer wasn't necessarily out there for him. Right. And and yeah, I'm of the belief that other than like the maybe the five to 10 and maybe not even that many best assets in the league, you should be kind of getting a loose feel on everybody. It's It's a useful exercise if you can do it. I mean, you always have to worry about the input with the reliability of the information you're getting, but that's something GMs have to do. They have to be able to condition that. I want to move to Memphis. Joe Noah is back after missing three straight games with a heel issue. He played 11 minutes and Dylan Brooks also returned, which is which is great. I mean, as we've said a couple of times, he played the most minutes of any rookie last year, which is pretty remarkable. But the one that we need to keep an eye on is Mike Conley, because I mean, just he's so important to the team. And this leads to we're doing this thing where we're doing more impromptu predictions. And the one I want to do is this will be on the list for a little while, but, but I want it that way, is Memphis plays 16 games in the month of January. And that's really going to be definitive for them because it's right before the trade deadline. 16 games. What is your guess on how many of those 16 both Mike Conley and Marcus Ole play? Oof. Yeah, well, certainly this hamstring issue, playing through a muscle injury. Now, it could just be even just the slightest of tightness or something like that. And Conley did play 33 minutes against the Cavs as they won in uh, what was not exactly a barn burner. They shot 5 out of 22 from three-point range. And one Cav shot 50% in that game, and that was Jalen Jones. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Jordan Clarkson also was 10 out of 20. My bad. Uh, But... 
Everyone else was below 50% in that one. So 16 games. That's a lot of games in January, too. I'm going to say 12. I was going to go with 11, and I'm going to stay with 11. Okay. Yeah, we'll have to come up with some better ones than, like, hey, who's going to get injured? <laughs> that seems, seems to be Well, the I just think for them, it's, for them, it's really, it, for them, it's really important. Yeah. And I, I, that's why, cause I've been, I've been thinking about their place in the Western Conference playoff picture. And it's, they're, I mean, just like a lot of teams with their best players, it's not a big surprise, but they're, those, I mean, we, I talked about it a little bit where they played, I think like those two guys combined have I've been on the floor for more than half. I think it's like 53% of Memphis's minutes so far this season before Christmas. And this is a definitive question for them, but we can move on to another a, a guy coming back from injury. Tyreek Evans returned and he played 19 minutes in their win over the Hawks. Or sorry, yeah, he played 19 minutes and scored 19 points. That's why I was a little bit confused about that. Seven to nine from the field. And even though he has not lived up to expectations overall this year, he is still a very important part of, of what they do, especially because Corey Joseph is wonderful. And I mean, his defense this year has been a huge part and he, he can be productive as a, as a, you know, as a second unit offensive player. Tyreek can fill a really important role as well. For the Hawks, you mentioned their game against the Pacers last night. Actually, the Hawks had one of their better offensive performances of the season. Kent Bazemore, 32 points on 14 at 25. Trey Young had an efficient game with 17 points and nine assists. Hawks still lost, but that's a really good Pacers defense. They put up a 117 offensive rating considering how absolutely atrocious the Hawks offense is. That's pretty good there. A lot of that was on the strength of 47% three-point shooting, but Alex Len missed that one with a disc issue in his back. It sounded like it could be some time for him, and then they've also been missing Miles Plumley, their third string center, who's been missing time with a knee injury. Doesn't sound like he is particularly close either, so it seems like the Hawks basically didn't have a second string center available they, they probably went spellman there i guess spellman really is a center even though he was playing power forward which seemed ridiculous uh and then finally we could finish up the injury news in detroit ish smith still two to three more weeks until he's going to be back and detroit has managed to stay above water they've actually gotten pretty good play from jose calderon who has been shockingly steady these last couple of years i mean he could still shoot the ball he's still a heady distributor even though he's very physically limited at this point in his career but he suffered from so many calf and hamstring injuries you wondered if he was ever going to be able to get past those and contribute again but uh it's good to see him out there at least he and zaza are uh quite the quite the pair on that detroit second unit right now yeah and they've done a good job of also weathering the storm of just having cumulative things like glenn robinson still being out and they've gotten good minutes out of brown which is really exciting because he's you know such a he can be an, an intriguing part of their future considering the Detroit's guard rotation is so uncertain long term so as you guys know I've been a little sick here over the holidays but at least I've been able to burrow in to my new burrow couch relax at least my body could be comfortable even while my sinuses feel like someone is stepping on top of them Dunked On is brought to you by Burrow, and with the holiday season here, whether you're hosting the entire extended family or just a few friends, you're going to need a cozy seat for everyone. It's no better time to replace your worn-out hand-me-down couch with a super comfortable, high-quality, and stylish Burrow sofa. They're very modular as well, so if you start off with the small love seat like we have and your family grows or your house grows, you can grab another piece of it later, extend it. Very easy to put together. It took me about five minutes. And you can customize pretty much every aspect of your burrow. The fabric, really comfortable. It's scratch and stain resistant and pet friendly. That has been the case. 
our cats that love to play in there all the time they're pretty good about not scratching the furniture but if they're like kind of fighting with each other play fighting on the couch they dig their claws in and the couch is held up really well they also offer some unique collections of pillows and throws that can help you customize your style even more and all of this including their built-in usb charger so you never have to get up it's no wonder that burrow was named one of time's best inventions of 2018 so with the new year coming make a resolution in favor of comfort and convenience for the new year and save up to 500 dollars on a new burrow sofa by visiting burrow.com slash cap space that's b-u-r-r-o-w.com slash cap space to save up to 500 dollars on your sofa that's actually a lot more than it was before great discount right now that's burrow.com b-u-r-r-o-w.com slash cap space let me know that slash cap space url that you came from us let's do a little look around the league here i want to start with what was looking like it was going to be one of the games of the year phoenix orlando i mean i know that's not two marquee teams necessarily but this was just an awesome game until the teams basically didn't score the last four minutes of overtime the place to start though is with devin booker's fantastic game dropped 35 points on 26 shooting possessions also had eight assists in his 40 minutes including the overtime but what i thought was so impressive about his game is you saw the formula if he does exceed what our expectations for him have been and become a real superstar you saw the way that that could happen and that was he hit some threes early he's been off from three shooting in the low 30s so far this year but he hit five eight in this one i think he hit his first three and the magic whether that was an overreaction to him hitting shots or whether it was necessary they started bringing the big Vucevic way up because Booker had been kind of getting whatever he wanted he had 48 on him it was a great matchup for him Vucevic was hanging back and so Booker was able to get good shots off the screens from Aiton so they started bringing Vucevic up and Booker carved that up he was able to get off the ball quickly use his size to pass over the defense hit the roll man in stride or short the pick and roll swing it quickly to the other side get guys open so the backside could attack with the numbers advantage and he was really that full score offensive engine it wasn't just getting his own offense it wasn't just all right he's got the ball in his hands as a point guard his guys are going to come off screens he's going to throw it to him it was him bending the defense forcing orlando to get two on the ball and then carving them up and, and that kind of ability to change a defense's scheme if that's something that becomes required against most or every team that really raises his ceiling as that number one type of offensive engine it don't want to overreact to he's not been on a great hot streak lately i don't want to overreact to that and he's also just shooting a crazy high percentage from mid-range right now too but it, this was a very very impressive game for him Right. And yeah, I, th- I think that also the skill set that he is demonstrating and developing at this point in his career could also be useful, even if he ends up in a, a smaller role with better surrounding teammates, just being able to cause the defense to react and pass and find teammates and everything like that. There, it, It's applicable, even if he is not the full-time engine. And that's a part of why I've been intrigued by him for a long time. It's just that you have to actually see it. Act- you see it actualized. That's the way this always works. And speaking of actualized, I think we've gotten a little bit of a sense now that who would have known Kelly? There's a more effective player in there with Kelly Oubre when you actually use him something closer to correctly. Yeah, and Oubre, I think, could be a huge beneficiary of Kakashkov. I thought Kakashkov, we're starting to see his vision come together. We saw it a little bit on opening night, but you know they shot 19 out of 34 on threes that night in that game against the Mavericks, and that was obviously with Ariza and Anderson, a, a much different team at, at that point. But we're seeing him bringing some of those Utah principles. And what that really is, 
to me at its core is getting guys the ball your wing creators getting those guys the ball on the move whether it's in a pick and roll or just driving attacking from the weak side after the defense has been drawn to the strong side kelly Oubre is not an amazing decision maker against a set defense but if you can get him going towards the rim with his athleticism and when he catches the ball he's already moving towards the basket against a scrambling defense that's when he could be really effective he had this one ridiculous dunk on jonathan isaac coming in from the left wing where they started off brought booker off a double screen in the right corner and then he immediately gave the ball up to Ubre. and now if you think about it you've got the big away from the rim maybe worried that booker's going to come off that screen and be open you've got the other guy who is setting the screen all the way in the right corner so basically now you've got two on two on the left side you throw the ball to Ubre as he's attacking and he could just blow by his man and get through and isaac did well to get over there and try and help but he got dunked on and those are the kind of principles that we're starting to see from kakashkov another one that i really like this goes back to summer league i was actually talking about this with some coaches at the showcase that i really liked as kind of you know what's the next frontier in play calling and that's one that i i really liked from him another one was in summer league at the end of a quarter he had the big sprint all the way up to set a pick and roll his man went with him and then he threw they threw the ball immediately to the wing to josh jackson who was their best perimeter guy on the wing in that summer league so that he could attack one-on-one with the big man way out on the floor already on a pick and roll and so i think the idea of manipulating the help getting the ball into situations where a guy can attack use his one-on-one ability without the help there that is something that's been really impressive from kakashkov and now that he has a real player in booker to run the offense through and be a threat as opposed to when booker was out or or when he has to sit and they just had nothing at point guard jamal crawford missed this game um but he's having a great passing season by his standards but he's really struggling to score uh but having a full complement of players getting another guy in Ubre who's a a solid nba option on the wing i mean he's probably he's been a lot better for them than ariza was that's uh something to uh give some heart for suns fans and incidentally in this game Phoenix played against a forward who I think could benefit a lot from that kind of system. And that's Aaron Gordon. Aaron Gordon, you know, not the greatest one-on-one creator. I think there have been moments like with Vogel where they tried to go to that more. And if he had a little bit more space, a little bit less help to attack against, I think it could it could theoretically really help him. Unfortunately, it's probably not going to happen for a little while due to both Orlando's personnel and the fact that they decided Steve Clifford is a coach and his philosophy is not exactly the same as Kokoshkov. How How would you say that? Well, just the idea of of keeping the ball zipping around and trying to get guy. I don't think when I watch the Magic, I don't see a lot of guys getting downhill. You know, especially other than their their best career. It, it does happen, but I, I they they benefited a lot to me, Clifford. And I'm not. I mean, this is true of any guy from having Kemba Walker and going from Kemba to DJ Augustine and Jerry and Grant is not exactly a fair comparison for for many many reasons. But like, I mean, Eric Gordon. I, I think it's better. You know, I thought his usage was too high last year. He was around 25%, and I think he's closer to 21 this year. That is better. But when I watch the Magic, it just feels like he's kind of a bystander more often. And maybe that's just where Aaron Gordon is. But remember, he's not being a bystander compared to these phenomenal surrounding talents, which I think would be a really good role for him. They just, they need more boost. Maybe this isn't the right circumstance, playing the three, all those kind of things. But it's hard. Yeah, and Isaac is someone, too, that they haven't really been able to get him the ball on the move. I, I think it, they ran a couple of plays for him. He had a nice uh, turnaround shot. I can't remember if it was over Booker or, or Josh Jackson. Um, looked like he was taking more jump shots, uh, looking a little bit smoother and more confident. But 
Oh, I had a question I wanted to ask you as you were watching this game. So I, I hadn't really thought about it too much just because they haven't run it in those rotations. But I was sitting there going, how is an offense, even if they get a much better point guard, which Orlando has to do at some point, can a modern offense function if Isaac, let's say you're playing Isaac and Bamba together. Let's say that's their end game is those two guys at the four and the five. However, they structure the one, two, and three. That is putting a lot of playmaking and a lot of, you know, shot conversion onus on the other three positions. Even if Bamba, I mean, he's kind of an enthusiastic shot taker. I think both of us would say at certain points, he's an overly enthusiastic one. But I hadn't really thought about that limitation because I've always been so tantalized in what those guys could do defensively. Yeah, so you're just saying you need to get more offensive creation around Bamba if he's going to be out there? Well, I think if you're playing Bamba and Isaac, together you know neither one of those guys is going to you know really do much unless it's one of those downhill kind of dribble situations though some of those spots you're going to need a lot offensively from your one your two your three both in terms of creating and maximizing on shots you know like Bamba to me you know he's not that you know you're not going to feed either of those guys in the post really to me maybe not even attacking mismatches that much you know but I think they'll get there maybe eventually but I was just I I hadn't thought about like the offensive challenges of playing those two guys together and maybe that's not what Orlando ends up doing because they have all these well, and I think the hope for both those guys is that they could be better offensively than they have been so far. And I do think Isaac can have some ability to get into the post, but that's you know that's not complimentary to other players necessarily. And I think those guys could hopefully hit shots. I mean, I think Isaac and Bamba, you know, maybe they're going to be more kind of thirty three percent three point shooters than guys you're going to get into the high thirties on a regular basis. You know, I think that would probably be more of my projection for them at this point. And Bamba, you know, he he had a real struggle in this one he was one out of five they got cooked just could not score during his minutes in the first half and then in the second half they switched up a little bit more dj augustin ended up playing 41 minutes in this game and dj played more with bomba and that kind of prevented some of the offensive hemorrhaging that we saw jerry and grant that transaction i thought it was a reasonable decision to just take on his money but and the bulls using that extra money to open up more space for jabari parker that probably didn't work out amazingly well either but grant just he has not been able to give them anything his handle seems very loose he's not confident from three doesn't make the greatest decisions i mean he has definitely been inadequate as a backup point guard and when you have him and bomba out there together it becomes just so difficult for them and i do think that clifford could do a little bit more to get some more offense in the second unit augustin playing more with bomba did work i don't recall having seen too much of that uh but maybe you could get fournier out there more maybe you could go with a, a lineup that didn't have a point guard just let fournier be your point guard on the second unit something like that uh but i mean that their inability to score when food Fitch has been out it has killed them all season a couple other things that i wanted to get to tj warren 24 points on 20 shooting possessions seemed pretty efficient and his three ball continues to go down three out of five. I mean, he has just looked like an amazing threat. I mean, this is one of right now the greatest one season improvements from three that we've ever seen. And hopefully I'll get a chance to talk to someone to figure out like what the hell he did because <laughs> the rest of the NBA needs to find that out quickly. But and so to go nine of 18, you know, pretty efficient for a wing guy. He took probably seven or eight of just the absolute dumbest shots I've ever seen somebody take this season. Like, he had one possession where he dribbles the ball up the right side of the floor so he wants to go set a pick and roll for him he waves him away and then tries to go one-on-one against john isaac who might be the best individual defender on the magic definitely to guard someone like tj warren and then goes to the baseline and just goes for like the pull-up jumper on the baseline and it's like tj doesn't have the type of like high release where you can like get your shot off well 
just in a one-on-one half-court situation, mid-ranger pull-up from 17. And, you know, he missed that. He just took some really, really bad shots. And it was such a killer because whenever he got a decent look in this game, he knocked it down. You know, and even even when he gets like a floater from the free throw line, if he's actually open, that I think that's a reasonable shot for him. But then like he tried one and just got it blocked from behind. Like you're taking a floater from the free throw line with time on the clock and you're getting it blocked from behind. It was really, it was so frustrating because whenever he made decent decisions, he was like really unstoppable in this game. And, you know, maybe it's one of these things like Clay Thompson, like you just, oh, you can't argue with the bad shots that he takes. I mean, I, because that's just who he is and he has to play that way. But I, I humbly disagree with that. So it was uh, just a really weird game from him in terms of great shot making and just like one of the worst decision making games of the season. I mean, I'm telling you, like eight of these shots were just horrible, horrible looks just and he had zero assists in this game. I mean, I don't even remember him throwing a pass after like you know other than just like standing out on the perimeter throwing it to someone else because that's what the offense required like once he put the ball on the floor I don't think he passed it once like he probably did but I certainly don't remember one and I was looking for it you spent more time on this one than I did and I've been really interested in D'Anthony Melton not only starting but his fit next to Devin Booker on both ends of the floor Melton kind of he's kind of a combo guard I would say in some ways more defensively than offensively but his length can be effective on point guards what did you see from him on Wednesday it's interesting that you mentioned that right because in the pre-draft process we were the kind of thought of him was more of a defensive guy you know maybe he could kind of be this Avery Bradley type uh offensively he's shown more on ball than expected he showed the, the ability early in this game against DJ Augustine who's a little undersized to use his size and get in the lane and finish but I had an interesting conversation with an evaluator at the showcase about him. And he said, hey, watch for this the next time you watch him. See if you agree with me. I think he's a really good help defender, but he's secretly like kind of terrible on ball. And if you watch the first half of the fourth quarter, remember I mentioned that DJ Augustin came back in and Augustin had 27 points in this game. He was being guarded by Melton and just got absolutely cooked melton did uh, by augustine it, to the point where they just had to take melton out and put a kobo back in and a kobo had, had a nice game also off the bench but melton just got completely destroyed uh, by dj augustine and i thought he made some good plays in help defense those a little nugget that i hadn't really locked in on about him but once i had heard that and i saw it i was like yeah this is absolutely true like he is really bad on ball despite these tools at least as of now that's interesting. And it's some, something I watch. And it also makes sense that the line, because he, I thought Melton did a pretty solid job one-on-one in Summer League, but the skill difference between, and athleticism to a point, depending on which kind of Summer League guy you're getting, is massive. And so maybe he can bridge that gap with time, but I, it, it would, I'll keep an eye on that as we move forward. DeAndre Ayton had a quiet offensive game. He has had some success recently guarding opposing centers in the post. And that's something that he could be a little bit better at. He does have the quick feet. Remember, there's the talk that he could switch. And that can help as well if you're strong enough to stay in front of guys in the post as well. And so Vucevic really early in the game struggled against him. He had a drive to his right that Ayton blocked. Uh, and then Ayton was using his big body to force Vucevic in these kind of rushed hook shots and fadeaways. Down the end, though, Vuce actually scored three straight buckets on him. But I didn't think any of them were like amazing looks. You know, two of them rimmed in and were, again, were kind of rush shots. You know, he didn't really power right to the to the basket. And you're like, you know, if you saw the shot when it was released, you wouldn't be like, oh, this is bad defense. So I, I think he's been pretty solid in the post as a one-on-one guy. He did have a very nice defensive overtime. It made 
made a couple of plays and helped defense uh, had a, a big block i think it was on fournier getting to the rim in overtime might have been terrence ross um also had a key deflection as on the last play of overtime when it looked like terrence ross was going to break free he got around a screen on booker curled in the lane on the inbounds and ayton was able to deflect the pass going back to vucevic that was about to be a dunk and, and ayton stopped it but those are really the only two plays that he made all game it is as a help defender i still think that he needs to be and he's the good news for suns fans is that i think he at least tries hard and i thought his energy level was really awesome in the overtime as well when everyone got exhausted there was about a three and a half minute period in the ot without any kind of a stoppage and he really maintained his energy level well during that time period but he still just doesn't have an idea of of when to help and when not to and there are a lot of plays in this game where guys would go back door near him and he would totally overreact and then would leave his man open and his man would score as a result of that when you know it wasn't a crisis situation he'd see the guy go and think it was a crisis but it wasn't and leave his man and then his man would get open probably the the biggest example of that was they ran a fake dho to aaron gordon with vucevic holding the ball probably 20 feet from the basket and generally what you do there if you're worried that the guy is open on that handoff going to the rim is you just back up right so that you're in position to take the guy if they do hand off and then if they don't hand off the guy may may turn around that you're guarding and have an open jump shot but at least you know you're giving up a 20 footer it's not the end of the world instead what Aiton did is he jumps in front of Aaron Gordon thinking that the handoff was going to come and Vooch just faked the handoff and went right in for a layup because Aiton just jumped out of his way instead of backing up um and then just you know he probably outside those two plays i mentioned in overtime i think he only made one other play at the rim the whole game where augustin drove into him and then augustin of course immediately got his offensive rebound because ayton is still needs to do work on making more of a, a second effort so it, we didn't see as much from him offensively in this game with only eight points and he was negative 10 so but he showed a, a few signs in this one yeah that's that's definitely good to hear and with ayton i've always been impressed with his intention you know like though that runs directly and where he like identifies the problem and then doesn't get over i i have trouble reconciling Aiden sometimes but the physical tools as you said are there and i think he wants to get better and so it might be with him that the off season is a really important time just because then you can work more on development and, and kind of get that more direct coaching because something that fans lose sight of at, at moments during a season is that teams don't have a lot of time to practice because they're traveling they're doing shoot rounds and all that kind of stuff so maybe that direct coaching whether he stays in the phoenix area or goes somewhere else i mean there's a lot of a lot of work that you can do and almost even, even though you've made the point and i totally agree with this that even inexperienced big men that are that are young can that have show good defensive instincts you know you can do that it's not something that just always comes with time kind of like some of the young point guard stuff i do like that he has some of the elements in place that could lead to a meaningful improvement i want to talk just a little bit about the the end of this game which was crazy in regulation with the buck 15 left devin booker who had an interesting defensive game i thought he was really trying to pressure up a lot and he drew an offensive foul on isaac from that he also committed just a couple of dumb fouls pressuring up on a guy you probably don't need to pressure up on i think he's he's kind of learning how to 
to try hard he's trying hard but then you also have to learn how to do that you know which again that's a, a step forward for him I, I think having a real coach for the first time and, and after some foibles earlier where they just didn't have the talent I think it is becoming clear that Kakashkov is a real coach uh but this play was just atrocious his man Fournier sprinted off the screen and I don't know Booker was looking at some other part of the floor and just lost him he yelled for Aiton to get out there Aiton couldn't get out there and Fournier hit a three to put the magic up with a minute 15 left and then Booker went on his own personal 7-0 run he hit a, a three-pointer going to his left uh, off a of pick and roll to tie it then he got out in the passing lane with a denial got the deflection went down for a dunk to put him up two and then after the magic couldn't score on the other end they had gone to their offensive personnel and called timeout so he had Terrence Ross on him at the other end he was able to just get past Ross and get to the rim for what was basically his only driving basket of the game in the half court i mean as, as well as he shot it in this one and granted they took some of that away because of the way they were playing pick and roll for part of the game bringing the big up and getting him off the ball you still when you're that dependent on shooting to have a good game there's only certain players and maybe he'll be one of those players who can really be efficient in the long term if you're not getting to the rim regularly in the half court as a perimeter guy but so that put the magic up four or i'm sorry down four and then they hit a ridiculous terrence ross three it was pretty good defense uh, from the suns on that play and he just hit a, an impossible shot to get within one the magic wasted a bunch of time because that ross three went down with 12 they wasted a bunch of time fouling trying to trap and really there wasn't enough time for that because the magic had no timeouts so 4.8 left booker finally gets fouled hits a couple of free throws three-point game the magic have to inbound and the magic word in the bonus phoenix had a foul to give and i thought that actually giving the foul to give when they did was a huge mistake because they waited to give it until the magic had reached half court and so then you get to inbound the ball on the side and so it's almost like you got to get a timeout that way they were dribbling up court in a scramble situation with about three seconds left i would much rather have the guys dribbling up court with three seconds left and your defense is in position after free throws and they don't know where anyone is you're you still have to dribble a couple more times to even get it into the scoring zone. You're really going to be pressed for time versus, okay, we're going to foul you and now you can inbound on the side. I thought they fouled him because they're in the bonus. They're going to make him shoot free throws. In that situation, yeah, good. You don't let him get up a three. That totally makes sense to me. But letting him just inbound the ball on the side, because now you can throw the ball into the front court and the clock doesn't start until you actually get the ball in the scoring zone. They kind of gifted him a couple free seconds there and let him set up a play. Yeah, and I mean, then you work from there with getting, with having a limited amount of time left and Augustine gets the ball and draws the foul, of course, on Mikhail Bridges, gets three free throws, makes three free throws, and we have a tie. Yeah, it was on that play, Bridges completely blew this one. So there were two guards. It looked like the play was for Augustine to run out to the top. He started under the basket, basically. And so Bridges and Booker are like talking to each other, trying to communicate, okay, if he comes off this screen, we're going to switch this Booker. You take him as he goes to the top. And so I think Augustine just broke the play, saw that Bridges was kind of just waiting for him to go to the top. And then he just sprinted to the corner and Bridges was way too late. I mean, there was no screen or anything. He just sprinted to the corner and then up faked and was able to draw a foul. And those free throws by Augustine, I mean, none of them even hit the rim. Like it was just three perfect switches. Like Augustine is a great free throw shooter but of course uh the suns were able to win it in overtime uh by scoring two baskets in like the first minute and a half of overtime it was a four to two overtime in part because i think that they were just so tired 
during that really long period with no stoppages so that's probably all more than you ever needed to know about phoenix and orlando but i thought it was an instructive game for some of the the young talent on both teams and a really good one i wanted to lock into uh you wanted to talk about another totally insane game uh charlotte and brooklyn oh lord I mean, so I didn't watch it at the time. It, it, unfortunately, having, you know, I was, I'm happy to have family in town and all that for the holidays, but I would have gone completely insane watching this game live. I went insane watching it, knowing broadly what happened. And so at the end of regulation, it, it was also hilarious as a part of context here. Remember that Charlotte and Brooklyn have been these two teams that have massively underperformed their point differential throughout this year. And a lot of that was losing a ton of close games. And so to have them square off and Charlotte had a lead earlier on, so you have all that going in and the end of regulation was a comedy of errors because it was all fouls i mean so you had a bunch of points it was one oh i think it was 104 104 with a minute and a half to go and then it ends up at the end of regulation being 114 114 you're like oh man that's must have been a lot of hitting shots almost all of that was free throws just because both teams were, were getting through it at so you have jeremy lamb gets fouled shooting a three by joe harris who had some big big shots in this game so he makes three free throws then Dinwiddie, I think he rushed it a little bit, rushed a three. He he has a tendency to do that when it's like you need three points or and he just like gets it up a little early that came in later as well. And then Harris made the only non-foul points of the rest of regulation. He hit a three, a really nice shot. Monk gets fouled for an and one. And then, oh no, and then Harris made another three. But then it, things start to get really, really ridiculous towards the end of this game, um, where basically it, it just kind of felt like the sides were not getting not getting into a rhythm and they were like Marvin Williams, they blew, the Nets blew a rotation. Marvin Williams was open from the corner, drilled that shot. And then like, so they're up three. And so you're sitting there, okay, team's up three. The Nets, the Nets get Dinwiddie. He forces that three, just like I talked about. They get a, the ball bounces out of bounds. Brooklyn gets to keep it and then actually there was I think there was a jump ball and then no 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 they ended up that was that was what it was they had to determine who it went out on and they gave the ball to Brooklyn and Jeremy Lamb we've talked about this so many times over the years he did a good job contesting on Dinwiddie but just got under him too much and absolutely fouled him so you're up three you contested the three-point shot you did your job they couldn't get a foul like a two-point foul shot foul and he makes all those shots and so you're sitting there going okay you know like they're you know they tied the game but they're you're just sitting there going okay tied the game all charlotte has to do is you know try to try to get a shot kemba gets fouled and it was a little bit dicey from the camera angles that i had access to but you know i think i think ronde got a little bit of an arm into him and so you're like okay kemba's kemba's gonna get these free throws he's gonna make it kemba makes the first misses the second and so carol rebounds the ball with i would say about two seconds left they're down by one and do not have a timeout and kemba in one of the stupidest decisions i've ever seen much less from a player who is as capable as he is reaches in on damari carol probably like 80 feet from the basket and carol goes into a shooting motion and they end up calling it a two-shot foul which is also weird but he gets a two-shot foul makes the first misses the second so we go to overtime it was completely ridiculous I don't particularly want to monologue, but I can do the, I can monologue on the end of the second overtime <laughs> no, no. too, because well, that, that was completely sorry, ridiculous. I, I was, I started talking and then realized that I had, I had muted my microphone. Um, <laughs> 
Any yeah, thoughts? Well, a couple of things I wanted to talk about. John Schumann was tweeting about how they went to this junk defense late where uh, essentially on Kemba Walker. They, yeah. they meaning Brooklyn. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Brooklyn was running. I, I guess the best. It looked like a two, three zone to me. And they were. And, and part of what it was conceding was shots like Jeremy Lamb shooting these above the above, like dead center threes. And yeah, he'll make some of those. Yeah. He, sure. he was saying that was, they just, had. Oh, the yeah, box and yeah, one. They were basically. Yeah, they did that zone, too. And then wherever Kemba Walker would go. <laughs> <laughs> the the guy would just peel off it and follow him. Um, yeah, they did that too. They they did a little bit of two three and a little bit of box and one. It was hilarious. And Charlotte, it's it's not the first time this year that they've been completely discombobulated by an opponent going to his own or going to some other different defense. And you know, Brego first time as a head coach, and they do have a lot of vets, but teams don't run those sorts of things very often but i want to jump briefly to the end of the second overtime that the second their end of regulation was the most crazy part and for those of you who want to i would recommend watching it for insane basketball purposes but at the end of overtime neither team i think had a, a timeout left and dinwiddie they had they got the nets got the ball with a tie game with I think it was like 34 seconds to go. And Dinwiddie does the kind of standard, you know, rush, try to get the two for one with, and I think he shot it with like 32 seconds left or maybe 30. And the problem with that, when neither team has a timeout and you're in overtime is that he missed and the Hornets got the rebound and there was only a two second differential. If you have a two second differential in overtime and you do not have, and nobody has a timeout, you're not really getting the benefit of the two for one because the other team can run the time down and yeah maybe if they make the shot you can do like a cross court heave but then you're not really getting a two for one because you can't advance the ball and so you're gonna you're probably gonna get a bad shot anyway so he rushes it he misses he misses the three and then of course because it's this damn basketball game Malik Monk loses the ball so he so he starts he starts his action with about nine seconds left in 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 the in the period and just straight up loses it it maybe it got he got bumped a little bit by his cover the ball is just bouncing loose and Joe Harris because he starts with nine seconds left Joe Harris recovers it with about seven six and he's able to get all the way down the court for a layup before time expires and so even though it was they ended up getting the two for one via turnover Charlotte inbounded the ball Charlotte got the ball up and they inbounded it into the backcourt and then they missed the heave so it was just just a comedy of errors one of the most ridiculous games and it was just I, I kept on cracking up because it was so fitting as these two teams have had well acknowledged foibles in late game situations to just have them you know Benny Hill music against each other or sorry I should use a better analogy there for against each other for not only the end of regulation but the end of first overtime and the end of the second overtime it was ridiculous one person who did not see any action in any of the overtimes was d'angelo russell who sat the final 17 minutes atkinson was asked about that after the game and he said after the usual platitudes about how he's closed a lot of games and he was a you know great on the bench and blah blah he says i think it's matchup based sometimes who we can guard and how we're matching up defensively and d'angelo russell trying to guard kemba walker at point guard not really something that you love too much about that now you mentioned they went to the junk defense anyway so it wasn't necessarily about man-to-man but i mean russell was negative 14 i think only that was like the worst on the nets by like 13 points in terms of the and he didn't shoot it particularly well either in this one so uh with the dinwiddie extension and you know russell has had some moments where, where he's played a lot better he's had some moments where he's looked like kind of the same guy so uh this was one where it, it seemed like he wasn't ready to play in crunch time and not a great matchup with uh him having to guard walker in pick and roll get over those screens when the nets like to play a more conservative pick and roll style you're very 
very dependent on someone being able to do that uh, any other games that you saw a little bit of that we can talk about here or even if you didn't see them just that were noteworthy in your mind well so i i saw the ending of toronto miami and miami was ahead for a significant portion of that game but then toronto came roared back with a 37 21 third quarter and then down the stretch i think we saw i mean there were a lot of, a lot of dunks kind of throughout this game miami was getting more looks at the basket than i would have expected but then leonard Kawhi, you know got a few big shots and then it was actually danny green hitting a corner three on on the final toronto possession of the game and then they had this weird play where wade miami did where wade kind of hucked up a shot and they i think it was white side i'm trying to remember who it was almost got a tip in that actually would have counted but it wasn't like it wasn't a really good look because he was facing the wrong way and all that kind of stuff so i, I think it kind of confirmed a little bit for me of why i've been uneasy with miami they're still my heavy heavy favorite to be the eight seed assuming equal health for all teams just because i think they're the best of okay. that group and I, I I just and they defend and they're well coached and all that and you know maybe Washington will Even figure with it out the and all that. But I, I just injury, think huh? yeah I I mean they're still they're still putting it together better than I expected and Tyler Johnson has also helped yeah. overall I mean getting him back because they were missing so many guys at the same time and as deep as Miami is that's still a big problem so yeah I, I think they they're there and they and also because they can they can play competitively against teams they because their defense they can kind of steal some games so yeah I'm I'm not feeling great about it I think it's more that I like them than these other teams that I hate. But still, I, I like Miami with that. And then I, I don't know if either of us spent a ton of time on it, but San Antonio continues their winning ways. We'll talk about this more in the 15 and 60, but getting a nice home win over the Denver Nuggets, 111-103. Yeah, DeRozan and Aldridge were both unstoppable. Aldridge starting to play better was the one thing that you thought could happen. But I mean, the Spurs have had basically the number one offense in the league for some time now here, and they haven't changed their shot mix at all. Um, and Denver now, uh, they've lost a couple straight jamal murray had a real struggle at four of 19 in this one wancho was really the only guy who played well and Jokic, i mean one of the big criticisms of him and now the spurs do a great job of packing the paint and they have more size than a lot of teams but one out of five yeah Jokic did have 10 assists so it was clear that they were trying to take away his individual offense but you know if you're really when i ranked carl towns ahead of Jokic by just the slightest of hairs on the top prospect pods it's games like this for Jokic where he's just not as you like to say that undeniable force offensively he does a lot of subtle things he's a a great offensive player overall but you still like all right if we really need a bucket here can this guy get it for us that's true against some teams not so true against others so yeah i mean the spurs are a team that we're really going to need to lock in on a little more with how well they've been playing all of a sudden and now they're 19 and 16 all of a sudden i mean it looked like after that period where they had like the five or five games which three of them were like just three point blots that like it could be the end of their season and they've just completely turned things around from that point it's been rather remarkable and for denver 18 and 40 three-point shooting 34 percent two-point shooting <laughs> and so they still lost and didn't have a, a fin fantastic offensive game despite uh hitting 18 three-pointers it's pretty rare that you will see that and then dallas took care of new orleans at home dallas wins every game at home loses every game on the road and it's really incredible they are 14 and 3 at home and i think they've only won two games on the road they're 16 and 17 so that is correct luca had another big game got fouled at the end at 10 assists 21 points 
but New Orleans is now 15 and 20 and 4 and 15 on the road and they've been other than Miritich they've been healthy during this period I mean and so having one starter yeah well I'll add I'll add Alfred Payton okay, uh, yeah all right all right that's just fair, because that's yeah yeah I, they're I so like they're the so shallow at this point yeah they're so shallow that all of these things matter you know like I almost want to say, oh, and, and Ian Clark's out too. But no, that's not fair. I mean, everybody has guys that, that deep in their rotation out at this point in the year. But yeah, Alfred Payton, I mean, it's it's ridiculous. I mean, the the Pelicans, I have to pull up the numbers. This might be in the 50 and 60. They've been great again this year when Miritich, Davis, Moore, and Drew Holiday play together. It's just that they haven't, they've been pretty awful when that doesn't happen. And the proportion hasn't been right. It's sort of an exaggerated version of what I talked about with Connelly and Gasol in, uh, I think that was on Sunday's podcast yeah but i mean they're they're getting close now to the point where you know it may this may not be recoverable anymore i mean five games under 500 like that is a lot uh, with the some of the teams that are playing and they i think they have the second worst ref, uh, record in the conference right now which sounds a little worse than it is because it's been a ridiculously good conference this year but yeah they are really in free fall for the mavs you know jerk Nowitzki with how well maxi kleba has played and they actually started kleba at power forward moved barnes to small forward and played donchers at point guard last night with smith out i think that's a good way to get kleba some time because he had been losing time to a uh, fellow Würzburg germany native dirk Nowitzki. but dirk you know he's working it back in slowly but he's clearly is not helping the team right now and, and we saw this before i think it was i remember it was last year or the year before where he just started really slowly and they were terrible with him on the floor and then he was able to work back into being a positive on that bench unit but you know that's going to take some time and you know, with Dallas, a game under 500, I still don't think they're a huge playoff threat this year. But if they are, it's that bench unit with Kleba on it that was doing so well. And so Dirk is cutting into that a little bit and, and he's hurting the team right now. I mean, you're not going to just not play him. It's not really a situation you can do anything differently about. But, uh, it, you know, it's worth talking about that he is, it has not played particularly well. Um, all right, I think, yeah, go ahead. Oh, wait, I want to say one thing. I want to say one thing on the Pelicans. Um, I was going to wait for the 15 and 60, but I just did the math, so I want to I want to get out there because it's not going to be valid when we do that. Right now, New Orleans is 15 and 20. The current 538 estimate has the eight seed, which incidentally is the Pelicans in a tie with the Clippers, having 43 wins. In order for the Pelicans to get to 43 wins, they need to go 28 and 19 the rest of the way, which is a 49 win pace. They can do that. Absolutely, they can. But you think about what the margin for that is. Yeah, and Miritich, it doesn't sound like his return from that ankle issue is is imminent. And Etwan Moore as well. You remember he missed some time and he hasn't been starting since then. They've been starting Tim Frazier, who just, you know, is a third string point guard who can maybe press into service as a backup if needed not a starter and more just hasn't really been effective since he had some of those lower leg injuries and they haven't been starting him since then so yeah it's uh nearing time to panic for the pels and yeah i mean i think 43 wins is a pretty good benchmark for what you're going to need to get the eighth seed this year before we go, uh, I want to mention that I have a couple of a couple of things that just came out and then a couple on the horizon. So I wrote a piece on the questions that I'm most interested in on the what I'm calling the DeMarcus Cousins experiment. That's for the Athletic Bay Area. And then the start of my big team kind of centric offseason preview stuff for the Athletic. I did this one was on the teams that I expect to have max space to work with. And then I kind of laid out for certain teams how they could get to two slots and, and all that kind of stuff. There will be three other pieces in this series that come out probably over the next week or two for the athletic and then i might have a clipper centric piece coming out on friday we're working through that right now and so that'll either come out friday or early next week 
All right. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy the rest of your holidays. And we'll be back Sunday night, most likely, possibly Monday. We'll see with it being a holiday time. We're a little bit laxer on the dates here since I know a lot of people aren't sticking to the normal workday rhythms. But mailbag 15 and 60. So be sure to look for those tweets uh, that we're sending out. You can ask questions in response to those tweets. Uh, We need plenty about all of the teams uh, in the Western Conference. And we'll put eight minutes on the clock for each team and answer as many of them as we can. We'll talk to you all after the weekend. Till then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.